Welcome to the Equipped Podcast, where we dive deep into the world of business and entrepreneurship. Each episode, we will bring you insightful interviews with entrepreneurs and business owners who are making waves in the marketplace. From sales strategies to marketing innovations, leadership insights, and effective lead generation, this is your go-to source for staying ahead in the business game. Now let's get equipped for success and get to today's episode. All right, we're live. Carrie, how are you doing? It's been a beautiful morning so far, even though the weather outside is kind of a little bit uh, overcast and yucky. I have just made the best of my day so far, so I'm feeling yeah, pretty where, good. I'm excited to talk to you. I'm in Boise, Idaho. Okay, okay, that's right. So it, we're in Chattanooga, I'm in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and it is like 60 degrees. It's great. We, uh, it's beautiful out. Uh, but this last week, I mean, it got down to like two degrees and yeah. um, that's not why I moved here. So that's, well, that's how it's been here too. We had a epic <laughs> snowstorm uh, yeah. a couple of days ago and we never really get snow. So I actually just bought, this is kind of funny, but I actually just bought a new car and it's a real wheel drive car. And I've always had all wheel drive or four wheel drive. And we're like, well, it hardly ever snows here. So we'll be fine. <laughs> and then two days later, of course, it's been snowing nonstop. So it, it's been kind of funny, but it actually, all the snow melted. My kiddos were able to go outside and actually play yesterday without the wind. And which is nice. a huge relief for me because it's Christmas break and trying to work with but mom, your office is inside the house. That must mean that you can play with me and entertain me exactly. all day long, right? And it's like, even my teenagers who don't want to have anything to do with me normally, for whatever reason, as soon as I'm working, it's like, I'm the sage wise Yoda of the house. And now I must get all the information from you. And it's funny because exactly. I'm like, why don't you ever need me when I actually have the time to do these things, right? But, <laughs> so it was good. It was good. It was like outside yesterday, you guys, outside for two hours minimum. I need you guys outside. Yeah. So. No, that's great. Yeah, we we never get snow here either. And it snowed Friday and it was cold enough to stay to where it was like there's just dust of it in certain places on, on Christmas. So my, my kids were very happy. I bet. Well, cool. So uh, I, I'm talking to Carrie Neal. Uh, you're with Brightside Perspective Consulting. And uh, we talked a little bit a while ago and what you want to talk about was creating engaging leadership in your IT services company. Just the, the idea that things have changed so much over the last five, three years. And uh, it's left a lot of managers and owners just kind of sticking, grasping onto the old ways yeah. um, and, and losing people uh, when they don't need to. So, or, or yeah. having people that are not as engaged. Um, so yeah, I think this will be a great topic. But first, uh, tell us a little bit about your kind of history co coming into what you're doing now. So interestingly enough, I actually went to school to be a social worker. And mm. um, turns out uh, kidnapping isn't legal and codependency wasn't what I wanted for my life. And so I have been able to tap into those things that are uh, serving of my community and, and the, the aspects of, of social work that I really wanted. You know, I knew from the time I was eight, I want to be a social worker. And then real world comes in and you're like, oh, dang, this is really hard. Um, yeah. So I actually get to do all of that in my volunteer free time. And um, what I really am good at is operational efficacy, um, recruitment, HR strategy, you know, uh, change management, um, more people operations. So a lot of what I went to call to school for, I joke around when I um, went into the credit union industry in 2003, um, I 
joked that it was sort of like social work, right? Because you're helping people who um, traditionally aren't able to get financing. You're helping with financial literacy. Um, you're working with uh, a cooperative, you know, like because credit unions are nonprofit. Um, in case people don't know that, they're a not-for-profit, nonprofit organization, and they're oftentimes supported by other nonprofits called CUSOs, credit union service organizations. And so that whole aspect is people helping people, right? So they're governed by a cooperative principles that are all about education and um, engagement and, um, you know, learning to work together as a community and how you can give back to your community. And so I really loved all of that. Uh, and it kind of tied into it, but it was, I was able to use that high logic side of my brain and really start mm -hmm. to, um, to, to figure out where I was supposed to be in this world. And so I've been in and out of the credit industry for about 20 years. Um, it'll be 20 years next year. Um, and I've done every capacity of role. I got hired on at this credit union. Um, she was so cute. She was this uh, older woman who was only the second or third CEO of this credit union never had, and they incorporated in the 50s. And she gets done with my interview, and I'm 22 years old. I'm I'm just a bright, you know, eyed kid, uh, really with no business probably handling some of the the stuff I was I was, I was charged with. But she says. I don't know why I'm hiring you. I've interviewed nine people and you're the only one that doesn't have any experience. And so I said, okay. And two years later, I became the CEO of that credit union and uh, my career oh. found me. And so it was, um, I did that for five years, was able to grow the organization um, because of the nature of credit unions being um, select employer groups. You know, they, they serve, even though we have community charter credit unions, a lot of them are, are designated for, you know, schools and, and mine was for the newspapers and we know what happened in newspapers in the, in the United States and in the, in the world. Um, and so while we were still really attractive bride, I went out and merged with another credit union and I worked there for eight years as the senior vice president um, and loved it. But I've managed IT in every area of my professional career in credit unions for whatever reason. I don't know if it's because I, um, you and I have talked a little bit about the significance and importance when you're building teams around um, with a multi-generational workforce. We have five five generations working in a workforce. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I don't know if it's because I'm that cusp, that bridge, you know, between analog and digital with just, just the nature of how I grew up and, and how I came up in business. But um, I always get the IT people and I don't know if it's because I'm good at talking to them or what, but they, they Carrie, <laughs> we're just going to give these people to you. And so I've had a really awesome opportunity to, to build teams, to, to hire and recruit in that industry. Um, and then uh, I went to work for the Foreign Service in 2015, excuse me, not 2015, 2018, I went to work for the Foreign Service, came back to the U.S. Uh, during COVID um, and uh, went to work for a fintech company out of Salt Lake. And I was the chief operating officer for them uh, for about 18 months. And during that, part of my job I got hired on to do was to repair culture, uh, do an environmental scan build out the teams. And then I was also in charge of building out infrastructure and um, software development. So from those two perspectives, uh, making sure we had the right assets on the team, engaging those assets. Yeah. And I would say a lot of what I learned and what I want to talk about today was in that microcosm really of um, a post-COVID environment where you're doing a lot of reparation for um, healing from a toxic prior toxic work culture in addition to all of these other things that impacted the workforce right mm -hmm. you and i have talked previously about you know quiet quitting and quiet firing and you know all of these different things that we were seeing in the in the media and i think there's some truth to that you know and and we have um we have some some feedback in the in the environments about uh, nobody wants to work anymore, and I actually don't. I, I in my experience of, in recruitment, I have not seen that. I get hundreds of applications yeah. for every job I'm I'm out uh, recruiting for, so I don't really see that. But I do think a lot of it is business continuity planning, 
you know, do you have the right people on the mm -hmm. team? And then because IT is one of those areas where when we try to engage, we don't really know what to do, especially if you're a high visionary leader or a high strategy leader. Um, a lot of times you don't have the patience to engage mm. where it's needed in, in, in the infrastructure IT teams. So um, I think my career has given me a really good opportunity to be in front of you and, and with you and partnering with this discussion uh, simply because yeah. I've, I've gotten to see both sides of it, right? I get to see what it's like to be um, engaging some of those IT professionals that we think of as the more stoic curmudgeons. And then I've had an opportunity to see some software developers and IT people who are just brilliant and they're creative and they are outgoing and they're not your prototypical, uh, you know, uh, IT guy that we, we yeah. talk about, you know, where they're scared of humans and they can't have human interaction. And so, and, and, but how do you lead and how, and how do you uh, build uh, strong teams with that type of scale, right? So yeah. I'm really excited. I'm I'm really, really excited to talk to you and to hear from you and what your, 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 you know, um, community has, has shared and you have you give some wisdom to me and, and, and hopefully some wisdom to some of the people that are listening, but it's all about, yeah, uh, as far as I'm concerned, uh, just treating people with, hum you know, humanity and decency and goodness yeah. and, and and what why you want to engage them and empower them. So, well, and I, I think that one, one of the things I was really interested to talk to you about this reasons I was, I was interested to talk to you about this was, you know, you say people say that people don't want to work, that kind of thing. And I think there there's truth to that to a point that mm -hmm. but but the truth is that things are different and yeah. uh, i was reading a book recently it was written last year but it was talking about you know people say when we get back to normal or now that things are more normal <laughs> yes. and, and honestly what the the psychological and the physical trauma of that year <laughs> I mean, we're still, we're going to deal with that for, you know, a decade, right? And you just think about uh, in the IT service field, you had all these companies in California and Texas and New York that could hire and double somebody's salary in, in you know, middle America. Uh, just, I mean, just change the the entire field, right? Mm -hmm. um, so, I, yeah, I think there's a lot of good discussion. And again, I think we have a lot of people that are holding on to that 2019 mentality uh, and, and thinking, okay, when we get back to that, right? <laughs> and, and we're- Yeah, just good to, luck. I just don't, yeah. I, my, I really genuinely do not believe that we're ever going to return to that space, right? And, mm -hmm. and kind of alluding to what you just shared about people not wanting to work. It's not that people don't want to work. They're just no longer willing to sacrifice the things that are important to their livelihoods mm -hmm meaning their family, their friends, their mental health, um, you know, even, for example, why would you go to work at Taco Bell right now when you can do DoorDash or Instacart and make 20 to $25 an hour? So a lot mm. of those people that are no longer working at fast food restaurants, they are, they're just working in a different capacity now, right? And so, but why would you, why would you not do that, right? You don't have to interact with anybody. You got to drop people's groceries on their door and get back in your car. That's the most, that's the extent of your, your interaction instead of being uh, yelled at because you didn't get a custom order at McDonald's correct. So I genuinely mm. believe we should um, maybe lean into it's it, maybe it's better that we're no longer back there in that space. Right. And that's a, that's a taboo thing. I know I, I uh, work with my local networking groups and I had a conversational luncheon a couple weeks ago and I made that comment and 
um, you know, it was wrong audience for sure. Wrong audience. They did not mm -hmm. want to hear that. You know, they want their, their cheap labor and they want people just to shut yeah. up and do their jobs. And, but I think at the end of the day, what makes your client happy, your, you know, your customer, you know, your member, your customer, you know, your client on the other end of whatever service you provide is mm. when they engage with happy, empowered and productive individuals, right? Yeah. Because leaders, they but can I, do as much as they want, but yeah, go ahead. Well, well, as I say, it, it, you know, we talk about resisting change. I think that, that that'd be a good place to park uh, for a bit, but you do have all this change that has happened. The and and again, we can complain about it. That's not going to do anything. Yep. <laughs> and I think a, a lot of, especially as we kind of move into a more and more uncertain economy, mm -hmm. uh, you've got a lot of the tech sector, the big tech sector, you know, doing some mass layoffs. Um, I mean, we're gonna have different uh, talent coming in, but again, you know, the, the workforce has changed. So how do we, uh, well, well, let me, let me phrase it like this. So I've, I've got a company that I follow that they do leadership and they used to say, you know, when they'd hire, they would hire over the course of months mm -hmm. and they'd have, you know, 22 interviews with, you know, 40 executive, whatever, all this stuff. And now it's like we hire in a week yep. and, but they kept that same standard. They didn't, they didn't lower their standards necessarily but they kept it. And, and that's the kind of change that needs to happen across all organizations, really. But I, I think that that's the mentality is if we change, we're going to lower our standards. We're going to lower our quality. Um, so how do you accept change, but not accept the, the lowering of the standards, if that makes sense? Yeah, and that's a great question. And I think it's, it's, it's kind of broad because you have like let's say yeah. for example if you have a company that's under 100 employees their time to fill even if they are not going out two to three months to hire they are still competing for the same bucket of talent that the larger organizations are right yes. and so you're still going to see churn in in all of those areas because and you know there there is some truth still to the higher slow fire fast and i think the mm -hmm. way you I think it's twofold. One, I, I do want to focus a little bit on the recruitment piece, like you just said. I think companies should be building pipelines quarterly. So even if you're not hiring, you need to have candidates in that pipeline, just like you do with your sales pipeline. You have warm, cold, warm, and hot leads. You should always be doing that, especially within the IT sector, you know, where you have, you know, email campaigns that are still going out, text messages that are still going out to your top talent that you didn't hire and you didn't recruit. That should also be talked about in your hiring process. When you go to reject mm -hmm. clients, you should be giving feedback, you know, candid feedback about, you know, it really came down to these three client, you know, these three uh, individuals, all of you are exceptionally talented. Right now we're going to go with this, but I'd like you to keep, I'd like to keep you in my pipeline and keep the conversation going, you know, mm -hmm. especially when you're looking at multi-generational workforce, right? So I am going to go back to the, how do we accept change without lowering quality, but this is how you do it is by strong recruitment, strong engagement, strong empowerment, right? So once you have that pipeline built where you always have talent ready so that you're not in a lurch, because I do see that quite often, you know, especially if you're a mid-sized company and, and lower 500 and below, when you don't really build your out your IT portfolio very well, right? You, you kind of hope that you they're going to be happy and you can leave them alone and you don't really know how to talk to them. And but that's not the way to do it, right? You build engagement with throughout that that process, and also understanding mm -hmm. the dynamics within your unique sector for that paradigm of your business. So, for example, 
um, anybody who's in the Gen X, uh, the Zennial, like the, the late uh, or the very early millennials, right? So those that were born in the late 70s, early 80s um, and, and, and older, they're going to they're likely going to want to stay at an organization for 5, 10, 15, 20, maybe even retire. But mm. your early or your late millennials, you know, your Gen Xers, your Gen Zers, excuse me, your millennials, we already know that their turnover rate is going to be higher because what their motivators are, what empowers them are different. They want change. Mm. They want different certifications. They want to learn new languages. Yeah, I learned C Sharp and I know Java, but now I want to know Python. And, you know, and, and even Python's becoming obsolete in a lot of different areas, right? So mm -hmm. we're seeing, you know, more move to, to, to interfaces and to programming languages that are um, a little bit more intuitive where you can actually talk your theory and it writes your code for you. So yeah. we're, we're seeing a big switch in that. So in order for you to understand um, and how to not experience that roughage that you that from the client perspective while you're hiring faster it's engaging your current team right creating an environment where you know let's say brian i know i hire you you're 25 years old you're a coder you're a programmer your resume is solid but i do notice every two to three years you want to go shop somewhere else you want to go somewhere else and you want to move on in the hiring process in the coaching process your coach your your, your monthly coaching sessions I'm like, Brian, I know that my time with you is going to be about 25 months. What can I do to make you the best version of yourself? And what can mm -hmm. I do to make you comfortable so that when you're ready to look, I can write you a letter of recommendation and get your replacement in here before you choose to leave. Right. We don't want to. Yeah. It's like when we were kids, we got in trouble for asking people about money. Right. We and we should we should be very comfortable talking about money. We live in a, in a capitalist world. Money is the is the root of everything that we do, every motivation we do. So why do we make that a too too um it's not polite to talk about it, right? Well, I mm. want to challenge leaders. Talk about the fact your people are leaving in 18 to 24 yeah. months. Well, and, don't and shy away from it. That, like, yeah, and on top of that, I'd say don't vilify people that leave. Right. Because then the new people that come in, when they leave, they're, they're, yep. they are going to burn that bridge. that They're, they're gone because they know what, what happens when they leave, right? Yeah. I think the other thing too, especially with IT, and this is true for every paradigm of your business, but specifically for IT and sales for whatever reason, anytime we have somebody who's a really great programmer or, you know, they're really great, let's say um, network security engineer or infrastructure, you know, your infrastructure cloud engineers, those guys are brilliant, right? They are, they like to break stuff. They like to find stuff. They like, you know, I, I just worked with uh, two at my last company that were borderline genius brilliant. One of them was extremely cantankerous. They reminded me of grumpier old men like Walter Matthau, you know, like bouncing back and forth. And they're in their early 30s. However, they told me up front, I do not want to work here for longer than two years. Great. And when I'm doing the onboarding and hiring, one of the things I say is, I, if you want to just be in your zone for a long time, you want to be an infrastructure cloud engineer and you never want to manage people, you never want to lead people, you want your COLA increase every year. I need to know that. If you're a ladder climber, I need to know that. But we need mm -hmm. to make it comfortable for people to not level up if they don't want to. It's really hard right now in our world where you have moms and dads both needing to be in the workforce. They have a lot of stuff that they need to do. They cannot constantly mm -hmm. be focusing on also leveling up in your company. So if you focus on building 80% of people who just want to be happy in the roles that they're doing and you have 20% of your workforce who want to climb that ladder, you are actually decreasing the stress on yourself by empowering mm. that type of environment that actually you, doesn't breed stagnancy, right? That actually mm -hmm. will allow people to be autonomous and have purpose and mastery and all of those things that they need in order to feel like they're contributing and be able to give to yeah. their families at home. 
Do you, but do you think that it maybe maybe answered this in your last comment there? But if you structure your company that way, are you in endangering the people that would uh, level up? Or like like maybe my thought is yes, you leave every two years, but here I think you're going to stick and you're going to become a you know senior this and you're that. Yeah. Um, well, and I think that can change. Well, and I mm-hmm. so to make sure I understood your your question correctly what I heard you ask was if we allow people to just be what we have always deemed complacent or quiet quitting, only doing what you're asked to do, right? That's one of those Mm -hmm. things. Um, Do we hurt our chances of business continuity planning? Well, even if we embrace the fact that they're going to be there for two years, are we then, you know, condemning them to only being there for two years versus hope, you know, leading them to be there for, 10 years and then they they're there for four you know what i'm saying uh, yeah well and i think not... that goes back to your inter- yeah no i think it's a great question actually so it's a super great question mm-hmm. one of the things i would challenge or kind of um ask you back is if you're proactively coaching every month and you proactively engage when you're doing your because if you're like say i'm hiring um i know i need to have a cto but because of the size of the company, I know that it probably isn't going to be great for me to bring in another C-suite professional. We want to make sure that this person works really well. So we maybe hire an EVP or we hire, um, you know, an SVP for a year, 18 months. That's part of the recruitment process, right? That goes in your job posting. So when those people are interviewing, you're interviewing for that. The other thing, too, is that when you are interviewing people and talent, you would put that in the job posting itself. The this position will eventually be leading into these roles within, you know, our plan is to grow this position. So when I go into interview, I'm like, Brian, so tell me, I I noticed on your um, resume every two years, um, you're cycling out of those companies. Tell me why, right? Um, You would tell me it's to gain new skills. Um, It's, I wanted to learn this and I wanted to learn this. I wanted to learn this. And by the end of that, if I'm asking the right questions and, and nurturing what you're sharing with me during that interview process, Maybe you actually get to the point where you share, um, now that I've gained all these, I actually am now, now that I have my family started, I'm actually looking to, mm-hmm. to stay somewhere for you know the next five or 10 years. And I just want it to be somewhere where I can also be going to my daughter's soccer games every night and not working till yeah. midnight, right? That then creates an opportunity for me to say, hey, you know, we have this position coming up, but it is going to require you to do some, to be in the thick, right? You're going to be in the muck and the mire for a little bit, and then we're going to eventually get you to this next stage. Is that something that you're interested in? Now, your business continuity strategy, and when you're building in those processes, you should be revisiting that as often as you're recasting your budget, I would say. You're, yeah. you know, the, we, we have never treated the human resource element of a company the same way that we do our finance or our budget, and it should be. Your human capital is the biggest impact, unless you're a sole proprietor, and I would actually say your human capital is even more important, but your human (laughs) capital and the the human capital element of that, and I think that's why we see so many companies, you know, your Facebooks, you know, your Googles, all of them, even uh, Riot Games, right, after they went through their big debacle, they invested heavily in churros, chief human resource officers. You're seeing human resources become one of the major players at every corporate table across America because they've realized the change in the ebbs and yeah. the flows of human capital. And it's no longer we can't. Is the full moon tonight? Like, what are we going to experience? <laughs> right. It is a science. There is data there that yeah. will support that. And so I think when you have a heavily engaged team and I want to bring it back 100 percent full circle to your original question of um, do I feel like if we sacrifice um process or we um 
get hungry for change, will that impact experience for our clients? Mm -hmm. I would say no. I think it's going to be even better because you're going to be one, you're gonna, you're tra more transparent with your staff. You're more transparent with your clients. Yeah. Um, you know, owning our mistakes is a really big one. You know, that's what we see with, can you know, we have cancel culture all over. You know, I know each side likes to blame the other on cancel culture, but cancel <laughs> culture is right. I mean, it's everywhere, right? Subpar mm. parks, for example, it's one of my favorite Instagram pages. Whenever I'm having a bad day, I will go look at that page because it's people leaving negative reviews on nature. That's legitimately what it is, right? We have an opinion about everything. And yeah. so it's like, you know, go to Zion National Park, too many rocks. Well, you're at a park that has rocks, yeah. right? So the same thing is going to be true for, you know, and, and it was kind of funny, Brian, because you actually mentioned um, that companies are getting smarter by moving a lot of their workforce to remote workforce because they can lower their capital expense, their human capital expense, mm -hmm. and get better talent. So it's funny because uh, one of my previous employer, that was my strategy when I came in. Uh, you know, we went from having 18% remote to 42% of a remote workforce. Uh, we lowered our operational costs. We actually increased our level of understanding and we shortened our timeline for um, education. Uh, it was a nine to 12 month lead time. We shortened it from six to, to six to 12 months is when you would mm -hmm. actually know how to do your job. And that was because we didn't think we had to just operate locally in Utah. But yeah. I have a negative review about how shady I am because I hire people so I can pay them less. And it's like, yeah, but so for all those, so other business owners and leaders are like, damn, that's smart. But workforce at a certain level of um, emotional and intellectual curiosity, I'll say it that way, thinks that is a really bad plan and a really bad strategy. Mm. And it's like, I can hire five more people which is better yeah. for every local economy that I'm impacting if yeah. I choose not to hire one person or one and a half people in a valley that is saturated with IT or software developers, right? You know? Yeah, it's it's one of those things that every decision you make can be picked at. And exactly. The, I mean, I, I could see both sides of that. I, I think obviously hiring the person in, you know, wherever, I don't, you know, that that isn't a lower cost environment uh i don't think they're complaining right no uh, i mean of course you, they're you not that person yeah and you're hiring um, the best and top talent regardless of your talent mm -hmm. pool right so if you get 100 yeah. applications and 20 percent of them are local and 80 percent of them are not local yeah. you know if i can hire a kid who lives in missouri who has five or six more certifications than somebody who lives in salt lake and they want to make one hundred twenty thousand dollars coming right out of college who am i gonna pick yeah. Well, and, plus, and, long term, you're going to have a higher apt likelihood of uh, retention and long term retention if you're paying somebody more. So it's actually mm -hmm. better for your business when we're going back to that job hopping. Right. So that person who lives in Missouri, what are the chances that they're going to be able to move and make the same amount of money that they're making currently? somewhere else. So the likelihood of them staying with your organization is going to be longer. And there's nothing wrong with that. We have hundreds of thousands of people across America who need a new job. So why are we frowning on helping local economies and helping workforce? Yeah. Well, and, and I think with this entire topic, the, the important kind of thing that you're going around is we're not changing the workforce. We're changing our Approach. The way we do business, right? Yeah. yeah, our approach. And like, again, you'd think about, you know, the the 
people moving jobs every two years. We can complain about that. We can say, hey, you know, if you're going to work here, you can't change jobs every two years. That's just not going to move the needle. It's how we treat people, how we, uh, our expectations, our process. Um, and it, it does um, present some problems, right? And mm-hmm. it reminds me of the, have you watched For All Mankind? I don't know if I have or not. not. What is that? So it's a it's an Apple TV show about it's basically an alternative uh, reality where Russia got to the moon before us. And oh, so it's kind of like that, Man in the High Castle, like we're yes, similar, but okay. less less sci-fi. Okay. Um, I guess I mean fantasy sci-fi, uh, but yes, yeah, like that, and. Uh, so the, the space race just continues and, and by 95, they're on Mars, that, that kind of thing. Uh, but anyway, there's this NASA type uh, organization where everybody's saying, this can't work. We can't make this work. You know, uh, we don't have this. We don't have that. And er- they're just complaining and fighting. And the, the leader comes in and he's like, guys, you know, th- that you're right. Uh, these are all engineer problem, engineering problems, and we're engineers. Let's let's fix this. And it's that same thing. Like, yeah. yes, we have all these problems, but we are leaders. We are managers. How do we fix it? Right. Well, and that's I think you what you're saying. It. Yeah, and that's exactly how how you fix it. I think, mm-hmm. you know, one of the, in my experience, um, and I'll, and I'll, if it's okay, I'll use an example of one of the current clients I have right now, right? So they're in the, in the midst of a major change cycle and the two departments that they have identified as the departments we've prior to, so I, I do a survey, I send a survey out to all leadership and management first. So anybody who manages somebody else, I send a survey to them and I ask some questions about what they think the temperature is and which, which areas of the organization do you think are going to be resistant to change? And it's anonymous. So I don't know who has responded to what, but I need to understand um, the different biases that are in the environment before I can create the change model that we're going to use, mm-hmm. right? And that's one of the things I recommend for all companies in a post-COVID environment is you need to have a change management team because that is where we suffer the most in all organization right now is you have, you know, maybe the marketing team is the one who, dis, you know, disseminates all the new change, you know, but they don't actually measure it. So it doesn't go through for efficacy. You're not measuring it. You know, you, you find out six months later, you're still using four different text messaging platforms and you're paying all this money. So you have to understand which, which current biases are in your environment before you create the change model. And every change model is going to be different. You cannot use the same change model, right? So a Lean Sigma 6 lean change model is not going to work for a small nonprofit you know, but an EOS model might, right? So understanding different different change models. And so, but one of the things that's really interesting is, so I, I give this to the senior leadership and then I go out and then I ask, and then I send a similar survey to all of the other departments and I get their feedback. And it's always really interesting because the two departments that I all oftentimes will get is IT and accounting are curmudgeons. They don't want to change. We can't, you know, they're difficult to work with. They, and a lot of times, when I get the surveys back from those two departments, IT and accounting, you know, finance, um, it's my senior leaders don't know what they're talking about. They don't have any idea mm-hmm. about what technology is. Um, they want to make all these changes, but they don't understand the impact. And both sides are right. But we want to make yeah. it a black or white thing. Both sides of those are right. You know, for example, I, I shared this with you earlier, and it's, it's one of my favorite stories. 
but I, I, you know, the, the company I was at last, um, I did my environmental scan before they, you know, before I even started my job and implementing any of the things that I was doing. And during my interview with this young, very, very talented, brilliant 21 year old programmer, he said, well, how did you even get a job here? You don't even know anything about programming or IT. <laughs> and, but I needed that type of candor, right? We need that type of candor because you and I have been working in environments for a long time where people just keep that in their head and we have no idea why we're not yeah. making positive influence on their lives, right? So he was one of my first or second interviews I did. And I loved that. So I actually led with that with all of my other interviews. I would go into it. And if you were a program, a senior programmer, Brian, I'd, I'd sit down and say, I understand you probably don't want to be here right now. And you're trying to figure out why a blonde haired woman with a mohawk is now one of your senior leaders. Right. And then we get that out, you know, but we as leaders need to be willing to be in a space of humility where we actually need to give them some credit because we we want to come in and make global application changes and just have them expect to do it when you know we didn't think about whether or not the re-image is being uh pushed you know are we re-imaging every single night and pushing it to our backup servers and what, what do we do if we refactor and repurpose our tech stack without thinking about how that's going to play into you know backup yeah. you know that so and and those things happen all the time I've done it. You've probably done it. A lot of your listeners have probably done that. And so what we do is we understand, well, okay, great. You guys have given me all of these examples of everything that your previous leaders have not done for you in the past, right? Then I give that all back to the senior leadership team. And I say, you have to sit in the suck for a second. And I call that sit in the suck, acknowledge your failures. I want you to each come up with a statement that you're going to talk to your teams about where you apologize for not listening. That's the very first step. Mm. And it, you would not believe how much progress can be made by just having that conversation. Because what you've done is you've validated for your, you know, your boomers and your Gen Xers and your Xennials that have been there for 5, 10, 15 years. You validated that, yeah, you've incorporated change that hasn't worked. You didn't listen to them and it failed. And now it doesn't work. Right. So it sounds, these are all like very simple fixes that a lot of times people are like, I don't have time to do that. Well, I promise if so you when, make the time, you will see the positive impacts of it. When you do that though, and and I, I, I mean, I know your answer to this, but when you do that, <laughs> you acknowledge, you know, hey, I, I've screwed up. Are you not lowering your... Uh, their perception of you, uh, like empowering them to be like, yeah, yeah. You know, because in those situations, let's say implementing change, yes, leadership will say, hey, we want to change this. Uh, the, you know, IT department or the rank and file will say, okay, last time we did that, it caused all these problems. It's going to take us six months. And, you know, so and, again, both are right, but both are wrong. Yep. And if if I'm as a leader and saying, you know what, I'm I've been wrong. I've I've tried to do this too quickly. Am I not then empowering them to be to to be wrong? Does that make sense? Uh no. I I, I think I know where you're going over with that. Wrong. Like, no, because what you're hoping to achieve in that dialogue and that exchange is they're gonna then say, I was wrong about these things too. Because it's an open dialogue, right? You, you create a forum yeah. and, and an opportunity. And so um, so when your leadership goes to, because it, it becomes a round table. And, and I think yeah. IT should be invited. And most often the times I see marketing or you know your comm team are the ones that are at every single project meeting for uh, change, anything that is a change model. Mm -hmm. But you never invite your IT people to the table until it's too late. 
or you have one guy there that you like a lot and he's the easiest to talk to and he's the one that is the least nerdy. So you invite him, but maybe he's not great at communication, right? Your round table, and, and this is all stuff that you do up front and you do it one or two times. And then you're going back, you know, if we're using um, uh, any change model, you have to evaluate every, you know, quarterly or bi biannually, right? So mm. you're gonna be reviewing and tweaking your process once it's in place. But this first initial stage is for both of you guys just to say, you know what? The world is a different place. We know some of these things are still going to work, but we have to acknowledge what hasn't worked and we need your opinion about how it's going to work in the future. One of the things that, that we know about human nature is when we fall on the sword, people will also fall on the sword too. And what I mean by that is if I come to you and I say, Brian, I have failed you. I did not do this right. Um, these are the things I know I can improve on. I want to hear what you have to say. They're really quick to say, oh, you didn't fail me. I actually mm. didn't do this right. Nine times out of 10. Now, that yeah. 10 person who is, I am emphatically right, you know you need to then find a home for that person at your nearest exactly. competitor. Yes. That's the yeah, wrong person for your yeah. team. Yeah. So this process, as you are, are sitting down with your um, you know, your team and you're empowering them and you're, hum you're humbling yourself and you're, and you're bringing yourself down to that level one, you're bringing an, an insane amount of humanity into your environment. You're also bringing a lot of trust because we as leaders, especially stoic leaders, um, they're respected, but they're feared, right? And, and loyalty is fed by connection and empowerment and engagement and encouragement. So if we want to be uh, leaders who actually make better humans, right? We put better humans into the world and we, we create something better. We have to approach leadership with humility, right? And, and the, yeah. the reality is, is that I, there are a lot of really smart people in the world and I would consider myself fairly, fairly smart. However, every position I've ever had, the success and the magic happens by the people who've trusted me to lead them. They, I would not be anything without the people that have worked with me in the past. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, and I, and I very rarely will call any of my, my employees team or um, employees. I call them teammates or team members or colleagues or sidekicks. Right. I, because employee is a derogatory term in my opinion. And I mm. have found that just by tweaking some of the way I, 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 I talk to people and how I communicate with them and even just, you know, I do the same thing in parenting where, you know, they'll come to me with a problem and I don't pretend I know the answer. I'll say, you've given me a great opportunity to level up. I don't know the answer to this. Do you want me to find it for you and bring it back to you? Or would you like to engage in this, this solution together? Right. And a lot of times it's, and if they know a little bit more than you, they love that. They mm. love it. Right. And mm. I've seen uh, software developers, you know, one of the things that we talked about that I'm really uh, passionate about is I, I think you should offer a free sprint quarterly where you just let them work on whatever they want to do. And I promise you with the right rails, right? Think about the bowling analogy, right? You put the bumpers up and then you let them throw that ball any way they want down the, the lane. You will see a significant increase in productivity. You got Fortune mm. 500 companies that are doing this. You have small, small companies that are doing this and they are making leaps and bounds and strides because one of the things that we do not oftentimes give IT, software development, anybody who's in that paradigm enough credit for is the insane amount of creativity that they have, right? We assume mm. that they're curmudgeons or they're, um, they, they're introverts, so they must not have, you know, the ability to talk and to communicate. And it is a or, huge Or even concern. like, I have this idea, you need to execute it for, instead of letting them have yes. the idea. 
Yes. And so when you allow them and empower them to have the idea and they do it within their team, right? Because if you have a bunch of coders, what do we know? You have one person who writes the code and then we have code check, right? And then it goes into UAT and beta testing and, you know, go, or, you know, into QA. All those people work together, right? But what happens if you let maybe a junior development, junior developer come up with this idea and then the senior developer code checks and he sees this code that is just brilliant and he's, he's inspired. He's going to go back or she's going to go back, I should say. They are going to go back and they're going to be like, oh, I love what, you know, we're going to say Billy did over here. And then Simone comes in and is, is just blown away by this. And then she makes modifications to her code. And then QA sees something brand new for the first time. Right. So why are we leaving it to the leader to be the one that's inspiring? Why not let it be those younger voices? Because if that younger voice had never had that and their other three or four jobs where they spent 18 to 24 months at, you're also then building in a higher chance of retention, yeah. right? So there's all yeah. of these things that if we really understand what each mm -hmm. need is of your, of your multi-generational workforce, you can provide that. So for your boomers, they want to get to retirement and know you're not going to lay them off, right? Mm -hmm. That We know that. We know that as is, is where we're at. So maybe the ones that are not taking advantage of um, medical, for example, maybe you offer them eight to 10% 401k match. It's less burden on your HR cost, right? So there's a lot of things you can be doing to engage leadership. And it's not just about coaching and mentoring. It's how are you structuring all of the benefits you're offering these people, right? So maybe mm -hmm. you're young people who don't think that they need medical insurance. Maybe you're giving them, you know, a $5,000 stipend for a certification every year, right? And that lowers your costs. Some states, you can actually write that off as a business uh, expense and get some tax rebates for it if you are continuing education, right? There's just so mm -hmm. much you can be doing to engage your leader, to, to engage your uh, IT paradigm of your business that yeah, I think it, is being left on the table. I think even going back to the way things used to be versus the way things are now, even in, in, within your department, uh, building in uh, some meaning into what people are doing. That can be really tough depending on what your business yeah. is. But I think that that's another opportunity where the, the meaning used to be, we will pay you, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, the meaning now needs to be bigger than that. I am doing something with purpose. Yeah. Um, and that, that can be tough. I mean, if your business is, if you're, you're in the FinTech space and um, I mean, you're not helping people drink clean water in India. Like, you know, yeah. uh, it, it's, it's tough, but it's important. It is. And I think one of the things that I, each organization I've been to, one of the first things I do in the HR space, especially with uh, the younger generations, because they're very much more um, motivated by social impact and, um, mm -hmm. you know, we have a lot of anti-capitalist rising in those generations, right? So how, and and I've managed a lot of them and it's really interesting because, you know, they ask really bold questions in Slack channels that I never thought I would have to ask, you know, answer in my life. You know, I, I remember one instance happened this year um, where, <laughs> you know, we let somebody go and in the general Slack channel, I had an employee ask, well, why did so-and-so leave? And it doesn't even dawn on them that like, maybe we don't ask that question out loud. Yeah. Right? That, yeah. This is where you and I, slide, yeah. right? Yeah. So you and I have yeah. always wondered that, but we just keep our head down and we keep working because yes. that's the environment we grew up in. Well, that's the type, you know, and, and I remember a couple of my other senior leaders of the organization, the leadership team were just 
kerfuffled. They were, they were just in a, they did not know how to respond. And to mm. be frank, I didn't, it took me about 15 minutes to process. Like I can't delete the comment. It's out there. That would also look yeah. really shady. Right. So then I'm thinking to myself, okay, they're bold. I appreciate this. This is a new wave of how we're going to manage. And I came up with, you know, a response Whoa. and I responded back and I just said, Hey, you know what? Um, in dignity and integrity are part of our core values. And I cannot maintain integrity and dignity for this former employee. If we share that openly and, and I appreciate your mm. curiosity. Thank you for feeling comfortable enough to ask those questions of us, but I want to give that person the same, uh, respect and dignity that I would give you if you were to leave the organization and not shut it down. Right. And, and it did it in mm. a way, and I don't mean shut it down in a negative way. I mean, it, it um, was able to answer that close, question, but close, we have the loop, yeah. close the loop. Right. But we have people who yeah. are a lot more bold than we've ever been before. Right. And so when well, we make assumptions about that, go ahead. Well, I was going to say to your point earlier, that person asked it in the general chat. Everybody else thought it, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And so yeah. why not lean into those spaces? Why not yeah. um, understand that? You know, instead of getting upset, that's just the way the world's going to be. And so what we have to, you know, and and I'm not somebody who is uh, who tends to be a pessimist or uh, I am pragmatic. I would say I'm a pragmatic optimist. We have an, a duty, I think, as as former leaders to recognize that how we were managed wasn't great. A lot of times some of the stuff that i encountered in my career to get to where i'm at right now i shouldn't have had to go through right i shouldn't have had to go through the sexist comments i've gone through i haven't been, I shouldn't have to be accused of sleeping my way to the top even though i've had female leaders before <laughs> you know like all of these things and assumptions we have a different world now for young women and men to, to work in, in in these environments so what we can do though is we can especially as uh I really, really, really think that Xennials are, and for those who do not know what a Xennial is, those are your Gen Xers and your Millennials. There's a, a five-year window between Gen X and Millennial that um, they had an analog childhood and a digital adulthood. Those are your bridge makers. Not that you should be hiring and recruiting based on age, but you should, if you have very talented top talent that is coming through your door and they're in that age range, they are perfect for your change management teams because they understand how to tie ideas that were found in books to what you can get on this device because th their whole entire life has been spent in duality right? You're going to have a really hard time with somebody who is going to be really upset by somebody posting in general Slack, trying to coach and mentor a 22 year old because they're speaking different languages. It's like being dropped in another country. So when you create, that's why I think change is so important, like a change management strategy or a change management team, they actually can decrease the amount of stress that are on management and leaders because they are built for that reason alone. Yeah. Their whole purpose is to make sure that all of, um, you know, like if we're manufacturing, right, you have somebody who's dedicated solely to making sure that the all of the assembly line continues to run without any breakdowns. It's maintenance. So all you're doing is creating a maintenance team for all of the human needs that are now in the environment. Right. And so and it doesn't have to be a big team. It, it has it can be a small mm -hmm. team with multiple function. But that actually that, that's your checkup. That's your monthly checkup. You know, everybody is has an opportunity and and a space where they can help create consistency across the organization and decrease that type of stress that is that is impacted by miscommunication. Yeah. Well, all this is great. We're we're coming we need to wrap up here, but um, is there anything that 
you know, you wanted to talk about that we haven't kind of mentioned here? Oh, well, we've talked about a lot of stuff, Brian. Um, I know in previous conversations and today, um, I actually would lean on you to help navigate me in anything that, that we've talked about historically or today that you think, yeah, I really love this idea and I think it would wrap it all together. I, I, I Kind of what I said before, I think the biggest thing that I liked about our previous conversation and this conversation is all the solutions you're talking about are, are us doing it right. Yeah. And as we look at, you know, being more engaging leaders in, in the environment that we're in, it's not about changing the people. It's about changing us and changing what we do and not necessarily lowering quality, lowering expectations. Meanwhile, you do have to lower expectations to a point, but, um, but not giving in still expecting more, but, uh, but again, it, it happens here, not, not out external. Yeah. And I think part of it too is, the first step is acknowledging whether or not you have that capability. And if you don't own it, yeah, yeah, there's power in that. If you were somebody that, you know, you do not have the tolerance or the patience or the understanding, it is okay. And you will actually probably get more street cred from your team. If you come out and say, guys, I know this is important. I see you guys posting about it. I see you guys talking about it, but I know I'm mm. an old dog and this new trick is going to take longer for me to learn than we have. I would like to propose that we build this together as a team, right? So even mm -hmm. if you are not a leader who can do this, you can acknowledge that it's necessary and then lay that gauntlet down for your team. And you're going to have people rise. You know, you might have an 18 to yeah. 24 monther who rises and loves that what they've learned in this company is now they're being passed a torch that they never thought they were going to have. That's going to inspire yeah. the people below you. So I think yeah, that's how I would, you know, and I think even just acknowledging it, right? So one of the things that we we do in, in America, and I, and I know this because I've worked internationally in several other countries, but one of the really unique things in America that we do is we glorify overworking, right? I worked a 12-hour day today. Uh, why I'm are busy, we I'm busy. That? Right, yeah. yeah, this over busy, this over. And then the yeah. other thing is, is we have to be right about everything. And being right does not foster loyalty. Mm. Just going to let that sit. Yeah. You can be the smartest person in the room, but if you are always talking and never listening, it doesn't matter. Right. Yeah. And so when we, when we share that power or we, we uh, allow that power to be spread across our organizations, it just makes us stronger. Right. Yeah. And so, and not to say that this, you know, you're not going to have some young kid who comes up through the ranks and, you know, destroys some of the stuff you're building. That is going to be true no matter what. Right. You're going to have a young person who gets too big for their yeah. riches and they're going to need some guidance. That's just the, I've done it. You've probably done it. We've all probably been in that meeting where we said two sentences too much and then we had to back down from it. The yeah. only difference is, is I'm now saying in real time, stop and say, I went too far. Yeah. Let's back it up. Right. It's, yep. it, and it's, they're all simple, small tweaks that you can make as long as you are fearless in your approach to servant leadership, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's great. That's great. And this is, this has been great. And obviously, you know, what you're talking about, you know, with, with these different topics and, and that's kind of what you do at Brightside uh, Perspective Consulting, right? Uh, why don't you talk a little bit about that and, and what you do there? And the, a lot of stuff we're talking about the audience they're dealing with, right? And, and you yeah. help with that. 
So there, there, there's four major paradigms to my business. One, the very mm -hmm. first one is executive coaching. So I, I executive coach either teams or individuals and companies, and I work with them. So one of my, one of my um, specialties is organizational development, leadership formation. So I get tasked to come in and do kind of group counseling or mediation for dysfunctional leadership teams um, or teams that are on the precipice of dysfunction and they don't want to become dysfunctional. Um, and so it's a it's an offering where um, like group therapy kind of is kind of the approach that I, I like to say where, um, you know, in, in therapy, if it's not a group therapy session, then what happens is you go to one counselor and I go to one counselor and we both bitch and gripe and then we come back. Sorry, we're alive. We complain and then come back, right? We complain and then come back and we don't always tell the truth in both paradigms. And, and we got two different counselors, right? So the unique space mm -hmm. that I'm able to provide is I just, I collate the data and I don't have an opinion. Right. I anonymize the data or the feedback, and then I present it in a way where everybody in the room has has an opportunity to sit with it and say, oh, I can see that. Or, yeah, I, I didn't lend anything to that. And then we then the building process starts. Sometimes it only takes me two or three weeks. Sometimes I get mm. brought on for a year. It just depends on what 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 the team needs. Um, the next thing I do is I do change management. I build change management, um, EPI and ECMs. So inter enterprise process improvement, enterprise change management. Um, I'm a, that's one of my things I really love to do because I love data and I love analytics and I love operations and organization. And um, I'm, I'm a preventative mind. So for me, I come in and I look at your problems. And the very first thing I ask is how can we prevent 85% of this from happening, mm -hmm. right? And then part of that is, you know, just collecting a bunch of data. Um, the third thing that I offer services for is recruitment um, of any kind. So I can help you build your recruitment pipeline. I can help you build um, and those services. Um, that's that's the, the most fun thing I do. I have the most fun with that uh, because I get to show people how they can actually utilize the human resource capital the way that they should be using it by building strong recruitment pipelines. Um, mm. And that's the one that I have the highest success in. Uh, you know, my 10-year rolling average is 89% retention rate, which is pretty good. And I've hired over 1,700 people in my life. So it's one of those things that, like, once we understand what you need and what your process is, um, we can build that. And, and, and you will be shocked at how your time to fill slows down, your cost to, your cost to fill slows down, right? Just by starting to analyze five or six things that maybe you're not already analyzing in your um in your strategy, your strategic planning sessions and or, you know, um, your uh, business plan your, your, as you're moving forward. And then the last thing I do, um, which is not the last thing, I also really like it, but it's only once or twice a year, depending on when you do your strategic planning sessions, is I offer strategic planning session uh, mediation and packaging. So. Nice. Okay. Well, great. So if, if somebody wanted to get a hold of you, what what is the best way to, to do that? Uh, Carrie at brightsideperspective.com. Okay. And so, or they, um, they can reach me there. They can reach me on LinkedIn at Carrie Neal. Um, I'm pretty easy to get there uh, either way. Okay. All right, Carrie. Well, I've, I've enjoyed this immensely. This has been great. And I really appreciate your time here. Um, and I, I think we'll wrap it up. Perfect. Thank you so much, All Brian. Right. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. All right. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode of the Equip Podcast. Do me a favor. Go to Apple, scroll all the way to the bottom, give us a five-star rating and a five-star review. Better yet, share this with someone that you think it would add value to. And if you think you would be a good guest on the Equip Podcast, shoot me an email at lane 
at goprospect.com. That's L-A-N-E at G-O-P-R-O-S-P-E-X dot com. Until next time, see you guys.